well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I am so glad you're with us on the program today. We're going to be diving into uh, what's going on in New Jersey, where lawmakers are uh, trying to put together their response to the Supreme Court's decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. They have been uh, working on their concealed carry legislation for a couple of months now. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about this again with Dan Schmutter, Second Amendment attorney uh, in the Garden State. Before we do that, however, this episode brought to you by Direct Bullion USA, the new gold standard of gold and silver dealers. You wouldn't let the swamp of Washington, D.C. take your guns. So why would you let them take your retirement? Visit directbullionusa.com today and start learning how to protect your financial freedom by requesting a free investment guide. Secure, protect, and diversify. Get started now at directbullionusa.com. So in New Jersey this week, uh, we had an assembly committee uh, hold another hearing on the concealed carry legislation. Some interesting uh, stuff emerged from that meeting, by the way. There's a assembly member, uh, John McKean, uh, who was talking about his opposition to concealed carry in general, uh, but uh, specifically, McKean seems to have a problem with some New Jersey residents exercising their right to carry. He said, to quote, in my opinion, do you uh, do do you really do either of you? He's talking to uh, 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 detractors of the concealed carry legislation. He said, do either of you uh, does anybody really want to put more guns in the hands of people that live in Patterson? and Newark, and Elizabeth, in Camden. To say here all the money that you're charging isn't fair, that will make things safer, he said. In other words, why do we want to put more guns in the hands of inner city residents, right? Now, uh, my colleague John Petrolino at Bearing Arms wrote about this earlier today, and he noted that uh, Patterson, uh, less than 10% white, the population is. Newark, about 11% white. Elizabeth City, about 14% white. Camden, about 5.3% white. So these are all minority-majority cities in New York. Or excuse me, in New Jersey. And these are the cities where John McKean says, you really want to put more guns in the hands of people who live in these places? Well, well, why shouldn't they have access to their right to keep and bear arms? Now, it's true. Uh, Patterson, Newark, Elizabeth Camden, some of the highest violent crime rates in the state. And you know what? New Jersey's gun control laws aren't keeping the residents of Patterson, Newark, Elizabeth, and Camden safe. So why shouldn't they be able to exercise their constitutional right of self-defense? Because of where they live? Because of how much money they make or, or, or how little money they make? Because of the color of their skin? Now, I, 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 I assume that John McKean wasn't really thinking we shouldn't let black and brown people have guns. I, I, I assume that. Maybe he was. I don't know. But that is certainly going to be the result if New Jersey passes laws that make it uh, more expensive, more burdensome, in order to exercise your fundamental right of self-defense. Yes, the burden will be borne hardest on people who have low income, people who live in bad neighborhoods, or actually, I didn't even say bad neighborhoods, high crime neighborhoods. Those are the ones who are going to be harmed 
by the Democrats' anti-gun agenda the most. Everybody's rights are implicated here. But those at the lower end of the economic spectrum are going to be hit doubly hard. And New Jersey Democrats apparently are fine with that. So uh, that's where things stand right now. They're still working their way uh, to getting a bill to uh, Governor Phil Murphy's desk. What happens after that? Oh, we're going to see some lawsuits. And uh, with that as the backdrop, let's get to our conversation with Second Amendment Attorney Daniel Schmutter from New Jersey. Take a look and a listen. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much for coming on Cam and Company. It's so good to talk to you today. Thanks for having me on, Cam. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot, by the way, going on in New Jersey right now. I know that the uh, concealed carry bill is very much a, a an influx at the moment. Uh, I don't know how many times it's been amended. Um, let me ask you, let's go back to the beginning. When you saw the first draft of what the state of New Jersey was proposing to do with the fundamental right to bear arms in public for self-defense, uh, what was your reaction? Well, it was pretty clear that the uh, state of New Jersey had lost its collective minds. Um, the, you know, the Governor Murphy promised us something like this back uh, in his press conference the day after the Bruin decision was uh, was released. Um, there was a, a June 24th press conference in which he basically declared how much he hated um, the Bruin decision uh, and how much he was uh, uh, intending to resist it. He called for the legislature to enact all sorts of horrific and unconstitutional provisions. Um, he called for um, state agencies to basically do what they could to undermine uh, the decision and the uh, right to bear arms under the Second Amendment. So, you know, we, we, we saw this coming. We knew it was coming. He made it clear to us that he was going to do this. Um, he waited. Uh, the, leg- the, the legislature and, and the governor waited the summer. Um, they, I guess they let I guess they let New York go first because New York immediately enacted uh, just a lunatic uh, a statute, and so now now New Jersey is taking their turn. Uh, and you know the first draft looked an awful lot like the lunatic statute that was enacted by uh, the state of New York and has now been largely um, enjoined from being enforced by a, a federal judge. Since then, uh, New Jersey lawmakers have gone back, and they've you know they've made some tweaks here and there. They uh, but but every time I see a new draft come out, uh, Daniel, it, it, you can just go down the list. They're like, well, that's 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 clearly, you know, a, a sensitive place that's not really sensitive. Um, do you think at the end, I'm not going to ask you to make a prediction of what the actual product will look like, but uh, do you think they're ever going to write this bill with the uh, intention of respecting? The, the 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 Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms here, or about is it always going to be about uh, trying to restrict that right as much as they can get away with? Yeah, it's it's the latter, Cam. They're, they're they have no intention of um, passing a bill that respects uh, the Second Amendment. Um, the, the goal of this bill uh, is to infringe on the uh, the right to uh, bear arms as much as they possibly can. And so, you know, the core of the proposed legislation is to prevent people from carrying handguns. It's to undermine the Bruin decision as much as they possibly can. You know, a lot of the amendments are taking place at the margins. Uh, the, the, the amendments uh, um, are uh, uh, tweaking certain aspects of the bill. There's a lot of nuts and bolts things that they're dealing with, and the way certain things have been implemented um, have, been, have been very odd and not made sense. But the core of the bill is to stop people from carrying uh, handguns and to stop people from impl- uh, exercising their uh, their Second Amendment rights, and ultimately we're going to have to we're going to have to litigate this. 
You know, uh, I wrote uh, on Thursday, or excuse me, on uh, Tuesday at Bearing Arms um, about Union County, uh, and they passed an ordinance. I I, I, I I didn't see anything about this ahead of time, uh, but apparently they passed this thing last week, and then uh, Monday they put out a press release saying, hey, look what we did. Uh, we passed our own sensitive places uh, uh, restrictions. And I was looking at the the comments because they, they put out a press release again, and they're talking about how, you know, the Supreme Court got it wrong and there's unleashing a torrent of guns in public and we're going to shut the door on this. Um, again, we're talking about a fundamental right. I live in Virginia. In fact, I live not far from Prince Edward County, which shut down the public schools for five years rather than integrate. And I got to tell you, Daniel, this type of rhetoric where we're going to stand in the doorway and prevent this evil from occurring by violating people's constitutional rights it was wrong back then. It's wrong today. Well, it's interesting that you use the phrase stand in the doorway because uh, the these attempts by states like New Jersey and New York um, and the rhetoric is uh, eerily reminiscent of what happened in the aftermath of the 1954 decision, Brown versus Board of Education, when the Supreme Court um, held that it was unlawful to engage in a school school segregation. And the southern states um, engaged in what they called massive resistance. And they were very clear that it was their intention to undermine and resist the implementation of Brown versus Board of Education. Well, that's exactly what's going on in here. You know, uh, in, uh, you know, you talk about standing in the doorway, that's exactly what they did when uh, children tried to attend public schools, the southern states would block the doorway of the schools to with the with the state uh, state state troopers to prevent them from entering the schools as the Supreme Court ordered. It's the same thing here. They are they are engaging in massive resistance, just like the racist southern states did in the 1950s, and they are doing everything they can. And they're very clear about it. They're, they're not pretending. They're very clear that they that they intend to undermine. Uh, the Second Amendment as much as they can, and to resist the Supreme Court as much as they possibly can. Yeah, I would I would add, by the way, that I, I'm, I'm sure they're all very nice people, don't have a racist bone in their body, but uh, the impact is also largely going to be felt, just as it was back then, on black Americans. You look at Measure 114 in Oregon, for example, we've already seen a number of uh, rural sheriffs uh, in counties that are majority white, by the way, say, we're not going to enforce these laws. Where are they going to be enforced? The Democratic blue cities of Portland, uh, in the surrounding suburbs, uh, and there, the harm is going to fall disproportionately on young men of color for committing the quote-unquote crime of possessing an arm that is in common use for a variety of lawful purposes. Uh, you know, the, the, the idea that we're going to create a new criminal offense out of a constitution-protected right, um, again, it might not be uh, racially unjust on its face, but in its impact— you know, we saw I think one of the most powerful briefs in the Bruin decision was from the public defenders in New York State talking about the harm that was done and has been done uh, primarily to black and brown residents. State, these idiotic infringements uh, on their constitutional rights. I think the same thing is going to happen in New Jersey, uh, quite frankly. Uh, and, you know, the self-congratulatory pat on the back of, of progressives who think that they're doing these wonderful things with criminal justice reform when, in fact, again, all they're doing is creating new ways to put people in prison, uh, you know, for for victimless crimes that they've created themselves. Uh, I, you know, I, I got to say, I think when we look back at this time period in history, 
these folks aren't going to be the heroes they think they are. You know, they, they are the Bull Connors. They are the Orville Fobuses. They are the villains of this story. They really are. And it's very hard to take them seriously when they pretend that they're on the side of black folks. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's they 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 say they try to say things. They try to portray themselves in a certain way. And then they do things like this that uh, that will disproportionately affect uh, uh, folks. And, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's it's. it's that, you know, they, they this is typical uh, when they try to claim that they're trying to uh, um, uh, uphold public safety when they know, have no understanding about firearms and how public safety works with uh, you know citizen carry of, uh, of handguns. And they and you know this is this is very typical of New Jersey how they they uh, they enact these laws without any regard for how things actually work in the real world and how real people are affected. Um, and so you know when when this bill eventually passes and it will eventually pass, um, and when it's signed, we will. Uh, we will uh, we will litigate and we will sue them and uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. But we're not going to take this line down. I, I was going to say this has to be um, a very target rich environment for a an attorney who specializes in in Second Amendment issues right now. Uh, is it just a matter of trying to keep up with everything? Uh, I mean, how much of your practice is devoted exclusively to taking on you know New Jersey's gun control laws? At this point, the, the vast majority of it, you know, yeah. over the years, uh, the the portion of my practice uh, that involved uh, the Second Amendment and civil rights has dramatically increased. And now post Bruin, um, we're very busy. And, you know, Target Ridge Environment is a great way to describe it because we already have multiple lawsuits going. Um, we got a remand from the U.S. Supreme Court on our magazine challenge. So we're back uh, before the district court on that case. We recently uh, filed a challenge to New Jersey's assault firearm statute. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're very busy. I, I'm, I'm in, in, in these cases, I'm generally representing the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs uh, in advancing these cases. And, uh, you know, ANGRPC, they're very busy. We're very busy. Um, and we have a lot on our plate, but we, uh, we welcome this because, you know, we, we've been, we've been waiting for this. We knew it was coming. Um, we're prepared for it and we're really not going to let them get away with this. Daniel Spender, listen, I appreciate uh, you joining me on the program. Uh, before we let you go, can I ask, uh, wh where do things stand right now with, uh, in particular the magazine ban case that was, uh, uh, granted uh, and vacated and remanded back down to the lower courts. Where 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 does that stand right now? So the magazine case is in, in an interesting posture. Um, we had asked the Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit to just decide it uh, without bringing, sending it back to the district court. Um, we uh, on a, in a two one decision they decided they wanted to send it back to the district court to give the district court the first shot at uh, at, at the uh, the issue of first impression in front of uh, in light of the Bruin decision. Um, so we're we're now at a point where the judge is going to have to decide how the case is going to proceed, um, what the schedule is going to look like, what kinds of um, uh, submissions the parties are going to be entitled to uh, to produce. You know, one of the one of the things about Bruin is it gives us a very fertile ground to and a very fertile set of rules on which to proceed. But it's, all, it's also very new for the courts. So the courts have to figure out how to do this as well. Now, what was nice about the Bruin decision is it gave a, a lot of pretty good detail about how courts are supposed to look at this. That's one of my favorite things about the Bruin decision is it provided, uh, unlike Heller, which sort of really dealt with the general principles of law, Bruin was designed 
to really give a, a, a good roadmap as to how courts are supposed to look at this stuff and how they're supposed to deal with this stuff, because I think the court really didn't want to see another 12 years of abusive lower court decisions. Yeah. And so, you know, they really tried to like you can't you can't give all the details. Courts are going to have to figure this stuff out for themselves. That's the way it always works. But the, the Supreme Court really did uh, make a valiant effort to try to uh, make it as clear as possible how this stuff is supposed to look, how it's supposed to be approached. And so the district court in the magazine case now has to deal with what is that going to look like going forward? And, you know, we in the state of New Jersey obviously have a different view about what that's supposed to look like, but that's how, that's what's going to shake out, you know, uh, in the coming, uh, you know, weeks and months about what that's, what's going to happen in that case. All right. I'll, I'll save my particular questions about that. Will you come back in the future? Because uh, I'd love to get into some particulars here, like go through some of the historic analogs that I'm sure the state's going to try to bring up, why those don't work. Because as I look at it, we've never really had the type of prohibitions on how much ammunition you could be carrying for your arms. Uh, I, I don't recall any uh, sort of, you know, a 19th century campaign to, to ban repeating rifles, uh, even when the the, the slogan was, you know, uh, uh, load on Sunday, shoot all week, right? Like there were there were no there were no uh, moms demanding action to uh, to get rid of lever actions. Um, so I I would love to explore this with you uh, further at some point. Can we do that? Absolutely, Cam. It would be my pleasure. Excellent, uh, Daniel Schwinter. Again, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for joining me on the program today. Really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, again, in this target rich legal environment, I am sure we'll be talking again very very soon. Thank you, Cam. I appreciate uh, Daniel joining us here on the program and looking forward to having him back again in the very near future to talk more about uh, some of the cases that are underway, including that uh, Magban case. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, uh, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a story out of Missouri, where a, a man has been charged in a stabbing. He was just sentenced a few months ago to a shooting in Missouri. The stabbing took place after he was sentenced in the shooting. Mm -hmm. So there's problem number one. 25-year-old John Daniel Crawford Murray has been charged with first-degree murder in uh, Johnson County District Court uh, in the stabbing death of a 23-year-old Charles Thomas Dillon. Prosecutors uh, also charged a 20-year-old with first-degree murder in connection with that stabbing, which happened back on October 21st. Uh, police said that someone got inside Dillian's apartment, stabbed him multiple times. Police said they're not, did, uh, did not appear to be forced entry, uh, into the apartment unit. Dillian was able to call 911, telling him he did not know who attacked him. Um, now the court documents detailing the allegations against, uh, both of these suspects, including, uh, John Daniel Crawford Murray, uh, have not been released publicly, but Fox 4, uh, in Missouri reports that Murray had just been sentenced to 10 years in prison for another violent attack back in June, a case dating back to December of 2019, where prosecutors in Unionville, Missouri, said uh, Murray and a female suspect pistol-whipped and shot a victim in an apartment. Uh, police said the victim survived. Murray ended up pleading guilty to multiple charges. He was in custody for more than two years as the uh, case made its way through the courts. Uh, and then in June of this year, Murray was sentenced to a total of 10 years in prison on the two charges, but but a judge suspended the execution of that sentence. So you pistol whipped somebody, you shot them, you should go to prison for 10 years, but you know what? We're not going to send you to prison for 10 years. Instead, we're going to 
put you on probation. And if you screw up while you're on probation, well, we can send you back to prison. Well, how'd that work out? Because it sounds like Mr. Murray screwed up. He's being charged with murder. Imagine his probation could be revoked if he's convicted and he could go back to prison to serve that uh, full 10 years. But if he's convicted of murder, he's already going to be serving a lot longer. Meanwhile, if the judge had simply said, hey, you know what? There should be consequences when you shoot someone, when you pistol whip someone, when you break into their apartment and you injure them. Yeah, you should face some consequences, not just sitting in jail because you can't post bond. But after you've been convicted or after you've pled guilty, there should be some consequences. And in this case, for John Daniel Crawford Murray, the consequences were delayed. And uh, according to police, he went on to commit an even more heinous crime just four months later. Today's Armed citizen story from Chickasha, Oklahoma, where a police say a homeowner shot and killed a man who was attempting to enter his home on a Tuesday afternoon. And we don't have a ton of details here. Uh, it was about 1230 Tuesday afternoon. Lieutenant Gillian O'Brien of the Chickasaw, uh, Chickasaw Police Department says our officers received a call of domestic disturbance in which a subject had broken into the home. As the subject made entry, the homeowner opened fire right away. Uh, Brandon Bowman who lives next door, says uh, it was pop, 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 pop. He said, I mean, you just know as quick as someone could squeeze the trigger. Happened so fast, he said, I walked outside and I could smell gunpowder right away. The uh, intruder was pronounced dead at the scene. According to the Chickasaw, uh, Chickasaw police chief, uh, the homeowner did know the individual who was trying to break in. Their exact relationship isn't clear, and the motive behind the attempted break-in is also unknown at this time. Uh, but police are calling this an act of self-defense. And uh, they say that uh, the uh, investigation will be uh, presented to the DA for potential charges. But at this point, um, looks like this homeowner was uh, acting lawfully. We'll keep our eyes out for any more information and bring them to you uh, as it uh, any more details as it become available. Finally, today, our good deed of the day in Florida, where a bus attendant in the right place at the right time, willing to do the right thing to save an infant who was drowning. Now, this actually happened a month ago. But we're just now starting to learn uh, some of the details here. This was, uh, again, in uh, Charlotte County. Uh, it was uh, last month as uh, folks were uh, cleaning up from the uh, hurricane damage. And a 17-month-old Jagger uh, was outside with uh, his older uh, son. Uh, one was out in the front, the other in the back. You know, they've got a gate up around the pool, but apparently Jagger, the 17-month-old, got in to the pool area and fell into the water. Um, Mom came running when her uh, older son alerted her to what happened. Uh, they started screaming, and her next-door neighbor, Kathleen Richardson, heard those cries. She said, I was raking, and I heard somebody cry for help, a neighbor cry for help, so I dropped what I was doing, I went running. And I saw that her baby was being pulled out of the pool. She said, I just started the compression, started giving him CPR, started doing the breathing. All of a sudden, he started breathing again, and the water started coming up. She said, I got all that water out, a lot of water. Jagger's mom says it was like an angel was there. Can't thank her enough. Now, here's the really good thing. Kathy Richardson had been trained in CPR. Uh, she's a bus attendant, again, in Charlotte County Public Schools. And as part of her yearly training, 
she goes through and she gets CPR certified. She says that if it weren't for that training, she would never have known what to do when that 17-month-old child was being pulled from the pool. Um, so again, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, with an emphasis on able, right? I think most of us would be willing to help try to save the life of a child. But Kathleen Richardson, she knew exactly what to do, and Jagger is alive today because of her actions. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. Looking forward to being back with you tomorrow as well, talking about some of the uh, big Second Amendment stories out there across the nation. Unfortunately, we're in an environment where it, 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 too many uh, big stories, particularly in the uh, courts, but we're keeping our eyes on what's going on in Oregon with Measure 114. Uh, in Ohio, where uh, Governor Mike DeWine is trying to resurrect his strong Ohio bill. Might talk about that on tomorrow's program as well. But until then, hope you have a great day. Uh, don't forget to check out BarryAndArms.com throughout the day. We are constantly updating the website with all the news you need to know about your right to keep and bear arms. And, of course, if you like what you see, I would strongly encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member to support the work we do at Bearing Arms. And we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter and it really does make a difference. Thanks again. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.